Welcome to What's My Thesis. I am your host, Javier Proenza. Every week, my guests and I share the answers we found and the questions we have. Join us as we explore and expand our worldview through research and ask, what's my thesis? And I'm really excited to talk to Lorenzo Baker again, because actually, we spoke back in October. How you doing, man? Good. How are you? Doing well. Doing well. Yeah. It's, it's kind of crazy times. But I did want to big you up right up top, because... Not even just the episode, but the conversation that we had even after in the driveway was very impactful to me in terms of I was trying to assimilate into a situation that was hostile to me. And you gave me some insights that really helped me um, navigate that. And, and one of the things that you said that stuck to me is that when you make your own space and it's not a white space, white people will immediately want to come back come into that. <laughs> and that has definitely resonated. So in terms of like that conversation and this, and I don't want to make you necessarily speak about what's going on right now, but I definitely wanted to talk to you in case you had any thoughts on that. If you want to talk about ping pong, that's fine too. Yeah, man. I mean, I think before we get started, I do just want to give ourselves and maybe the listeners who will hear this, uh, just like a moment of silence to acknowledge you know, all of the uh, people who have been murdered by police, mm-hmm. racial, gender, and sexual-based violence since we've spoken. Yeah. Um, so if we, we could just take a moment. Thank you. No worries, man. Gave me time to think about it because we actually didn't even really have an immediate incident. The last, I, I remember we talked about that situation with the woman, which is where I first heard of Benjamin Crump. You remember the case that we were talking about where like there was a woman and the dollar store had accused the child of stealing a baby or a baby doll. Yeah, in Arizona. Yeah, yeah. So that was like what we were talking about back then. And that was still, you know, one of the things that I realized is how white my audience was at the time, because that was not a popular episode. Those two episodes dropped. They're doing a lot better recently. But I also wanted to note that that was interesting to me, where you realize that like, 
when we had that conversation at the time, we were both very sensitive to it because it was so uncomfortable and so out of the range of what is like was in the discourse. And now it's like everybody's in that space, right? The 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 conversation seems to have shifted to cover that a little bit more broadly. Uh, yeah. And I, I remember feeling uncomfortable, like both of us, like having to go through and edit it, which I don't usually do with guests. Sorry, go ahead. Right. I mean, it's a it's a different kind of energy for sure. Just to have those types of conversations in general. You know, it's funny that you say that because, you know, prior to like today, I was thinking back. Well, what was going on? What were people talking about? What was the, again, like I said, the energy around various subjects of police violence, systemic oppression, white supremacy, et cetera, et cetera. And it's funny because I think maybe some of the sensitivity came from just maybe both of our own personal um, situations. So, you know, I definitely was thinking about maybe aspects of my employment and how that may affect what can be said. Yeah. It's interesting because, you know, as I've thought about it, it's definitely um, like a form of violence that you kind of inflict upon yourself a sort of shutting down of parts of you that you may want to express. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of interesting to hear, hear that because yeah, like now currently there's a, there's an energy around it because there's multiple sensational cases of violence against black people, uh, primarily black women and black men and trans black people. Uh, so there's, there's violence against countless different, you know, identity formations within blackness. Um, and clearly there's, you know, pretty much a nonstop uh, performance of police violence happening daily around the world. Yeah. And one of the things that's just shocking is how much has happened since, you know, you would think that this would slow down, but the, the reaction has just been so fucking crazy. Walking through LA doesn't even feel the same, obviously because of coronavirus and stuff, but I went to one protest. It was in like the Boyle Heights area, Mariachi Plaza, but I remember even that far east, they shut down the, they put in the curfew and then they shut down the railroad or the metro lines. So you, I, you know, the gold line we couldn't take until we got, until I was like almost, I had all, walked almost all the way home. And it was crazy just seeing how many caravans of like 20 different police cars just chasing down the street going going eastward or going westward because I think that's where a lot of the stuff was happening early on. Uh, it was when like the that cop car got burnt and shit. But one of the things that was surprising to me about that that uh, protest was listening to the person the, the people talking. It was actually a predominantly Hispanic victims of violence just because of the neighborhood, I guess. But there wasn't a single person in there that hadn't been shot by less than 15 bullets. And there wasn't a single person that had been shot by uh, two bullets, uh, minimum two bullets to the head. So it was a shocking thing where it was like, they were telling people to say their name. And I was like, 
just on the edge of not being able to hold it in and like not start fucking crying, just being exposed to this thing. Like you don't think about this shit until you go to one of these things. Uh, and unfortunately I haven't been back, but that was like very eye opening, And it just felt like the world was kind of, you know, it felt fucking surreal as fuck. Yeah. I mean, it's a very interesting time that we're in. I think if we want to review maybe where we were at prior to this, yeah, you know, so yeah, things have been going on since, you know, the inception of America. Uh, but if we want to keep it like within the contemporary frame, you know, there have been large uprisings, you know, throughout the United States, at least since uh, the death of Trayvon Martin. Mm-hmm. And I think since then, and you can even talk about Rodney King, and various other, you know, there's a multitude of names. But I guess the point that I'm trying to make is that maybe folks were caught up in capitalism, caught yeah. up in the machine, you know, because I think what's so interesting about COVID is that it forced America to slow down, yeah. right? Every single person had to, if not two full steps slow down, at least a half a step. And, you know, I think it's opened up a space for people to see what is happening every day. The fact that you could talk about the individual stories that you heard at this one situation, people are experiencing stuff like that every day. Yeah. You know, I was trying to express this on like a social media platform that like, for instance, you know, helicopters fly over neighborhoods all damn day, police helicopters. So the fact that you could be living there, you know, if your life, you live there, uh, however long, you're going to be experiencing this incessant noise. And that becomes a part of your life. But the people who are making that noise and who are inflicting that violence, they're supposed to be, like we said in the last interview, peace officers. Yeah. And it's weird. It is surreal because... Again, everybody has a story of someone they know who's been afflicted by police violence. Mm-hmm. Like, I've heard stories just in my own personal life. But, you know, it's happening to people all the time, all day. And you never really know if you're next. Yeah. Um, and I guess maybe for people who don't, have over-policed communities and neighborhoods, people who are able to live in, you know, quote-unquote, or so-called affluent neighborhoods where you, where that's uh, not there, that presence just merely really isn't there. Yeah, you're going to be surprised that this is happening because I think oftentimes part of privilege is that you can... Uh, create a world of your own inside of the world. So maybe white folks are just, or affluent folks. It's not even just. Yeah. I think affluent uh, does uh, like, if you, if you live in a neighborhood and the cops know that they're going to treat you differently if they, if you don't like, I I used to live in Culver city 
and I, all the time it would start a little different. But I've, uh, th- I, you, did you mention? You don't have to share stories because obviously those are personal. But you have had problems with the cops because that's that's a privilege that I have. I have never had, or I mean, I'm assuming based on what you said, are they your personal stories or have you had experiences with the cops? I mean, I've just had experiences with policing being a part of my life since I can remember because, and I guess what I'm trying to explain is that, so I guess we could take this back to a very primary situation. You're a baby and you're born and your parents take you to wherever they happen to live. If their community is over-policed, you're going to be interacting with the police since the day you left wherever, you know, you were birthed. You just go through experiences with them. You know, the police were always at my school, my elementary school. There was a police officer there. There were definitely police officers stationed at my high school. And I went to... uh, You were in Sacramento, right? Yeah, so-called good high school. What I'm saying is that they were there and their presence was known. You know, even in my high school experiences, we had a junior police academy as a program you could join. So, you know, like an elective. So if you had auto shop, you could do something like that. There was like a a culinary, um, you know, elective you could take. But you could also do like policing and then ROTC, which is the military. But what's strange about that is that these people become like you have a uniform and everything. Uh But you go to high school with your other colleagues. How do they interact with the rest of the student body? Are, are they popular well, or is it like, well, but see, and this is kind of the thing about like an elective class. So like, say you have your five or six core classes and then you have a seventh period. Um, so for their seventh period, they would all get together. Right. And they would, you know, I've never been to that class, but I would assume it's like, you know, they probably go over like safety drills or like, you know, how do you interact? Because really what it is, is it's feeding you into that job as a career path. So like yeah. straight out of high school, maybe you might not go to a university, but you may join the police, right? Or you may join the military. Um, That's pretty fucking weird that they do that in school. Yeah, and but I guess what's interesting about it is that it's scandalous because we know, or I, I hope at this point people know that policing in America is tied to the oppression of, you know, suppressing people in lower hierarchical classes within the American race, class, patriarchal system. Yeah. They're really there to be a buffer zone between the affluent, wealthy, and people who attribute or associate with whiteness, regardless of their ethnicity, and then, like, to prevent people from entering into those spaces. It's wild because they're always there and yeah. they're not always there the same way they're seen on TV and portrayed in media. Yeah. And I think that's something that has gotten people. I think that's where people trip up. Right. So within media, within especially American media, there's always some white savior hero guy. Um, and it could be as fantastical as Star Wars and some, you know, white guy uh, going through space and saving an entire galaxy, all the way down to, yeah, your most basic primary school children's program, Paw Patrol. Yeah. Um, 
And what it does is it sets up this narrative for people to play out in that there are good people and bad people, heroes and villains, yeah. right? So it's very binary. Well, I used um, to play cops and robbers too. So that's like that. I mean, that's just been a, a thing that's, that's like ingrained in us, even, you know, even without Paw Patrol, you know, yeah. like, yeah, yeah. Yeah, because it's funny you say that because my mom actually wouldn't let us play that. That's very smart. Yeah, I mean, but I also see why you're saying, yeah, like it's a part of my experience because it is so common. It's like if you could. Uh, it's an easy narrative. Out. It's that black and white mm-hmm. you were saying. Yeah, yeah. It's what kids can understand, yeah. but then it. You could, you, sorry, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say if you could put down. 15 things that describe America, one of them would be a police officer getting a cat out of a tree. Yeah. Like it's very core, 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 core down to the like, you know, the central area of America, right? It's right there. But people think of, again, it as a guy coming up, a white guy getting out of a car and somehow magically getting a ladder or not, or being tall enough to, you know, access the tree, getting the tree out for like a little white child, an innocent white child. And that idea has spread throughout our cultural understandings of policing, right? Or I guess really what I could say, Americana, because not everybody has that understanding, but within the, the American lexicon of what a police officer is. They're a do-gooder. Yeah. You know? They get the wrong people, the people who are out doing bad stuff, right? Mm-hmm. And that sticks to people. And, and, and it's interesting because in reality, we know that it's actually more so brutal enforcement of rules that no one actually knows knows like Mm -hmm. citizens aren't even really trained on the laws yeah and yet they're supposed to inherently know them when they're going about their day even if you went to the best school on the planet or whatever they're probably not in a on a primary level teaching you all of the laws i think probably the most common one is what jaywalking yeah and I bet you most people can't even truly tell you what jaywalking is. Well, you know, actually, I kind of do. <laughs> I can tell you. And it'll tell you how ridiculous the, the law can be. Because it's actually... So a jay is like a hillbilly. I know this from a podcast called The Dollop. And it's basically when people used to like hang out on the street. And the street used to be where like people walked and stuff and then the automobile was was invented and they needed a way to vilify people that stayed walking on the street as as they'd been used to because now it was for cars so they started the jaywalking campaign i don't know how accurate that is based on my paraphrase but that's where that comes from but that's like that's how dumb shit is you know yeah yeah, and you're supposed to know that as soon as you come out of your house. Yeah. And a lot of people, you know, the way life is set up, don't even have the opportunity to take the time to know that. Mm-hmm. And it's not talk to you. But I guess 
I'm even harping on that issue, and maybe that's just for the folks who are really stuck in the mud as far as how they feel about policing in general, is that maybe it's really your, you know what's crazy? So I listen to music on SoundCloud or whatever, and they run an ad for policing, highway patrol, like to have that as your job. They run an ad basically saying, do you remember growing up as a kid playing cops and robbers and helping your friends get away from imaginary bad guys? Uh, that's the language they use, imaginary bad guys. And then it transitions into, wouldn't it be a great career or something to do in real life? That's fucking weird. I've never heard that ad, but that, <laughs> I can see why you're stuck on that. <laughs> but, but the language is so interesting, right? Because yeah. they're telling people that it's imaginary. The shit's made up. Yeah. It's not real. But do you want to take this not real thing and do it in real life? Yeah, it's it's heavy. It the, the all of that shit. I think. How does it feel to sort of have all that validated now in in just the public discourse? How does it feel? I mean, you know, to some degree, obviously, it's not like and the notion that it's going to always be like this, because I just remember that one of the things that we were talking about last time that we spoke was about uh, separation of children, because that was like the main thing that that was going on. And people wanted to abolish ICE back then. So, I mean, I, ho I, I hopefully this is a continuation of that movement. But I think in that space, it was still difficult. I had an episode where a woman was sort of saying things, and she's a great lady, uh, Natalia Kent. Uh, the episode is intersectionality. But she was saying things that were well-intentioned, but I felt like I need to push back on. And like when I published that episode, I was so fucking scared that when it was okay, I like literally cried. It, it was just like a fucking terrifying experience about even the idea of pushing back on a white woman. And just like that's how fucked up my head was even doing the show and trying to fit in. Uh, this was before we spoke, which why I say it was very helpful to me. But what's it called? What, what does that feel like to, to have that shift and, you know, to, to sort of have people be more willing to listen and stick up and, and advocate? I mean, obviously, that's all fraught. And if that's something you want to talk about, that's fine, too. But I just want to get your thoughts on that. Yeah, I mean, it's a, it's so many different things at the same time. You know, the feeling that you were talking about, like, not wanting to push back against, uh, like, white supremacy, you know, I kind of, I know what that feels like. And, it, and I think it stems from people valuing their employment over their humanity. Yeah. Because I think a lot of folks know the difference between right and wrong at the end of the day. But I think that there's also this barrier of, well, if I say something and my job is down with white supremacy and they fire me, where am I going to go? What am I going to do? Mm -hmm. And then it goes back to you and you, the individual, right? And you just want to um, keep your life together. You know, I think a lot of people just in general, I can definitely speak to the American experience is that, yeah, you just want to um, 
have safety and shelter and food and community. And, you know, people just want to experience regular life, whatever that quote unquote used to be. And I think it's what prevents people from coming out and saying this is wrong is that their employment is tied to whiteness, white power structures. Mm -hmm. And that's the thing. It impedes upon the self, the individual. Now I can't speak or say what I want to say because if my coworkers see this on social media, they're going to treat me differently. Or if I say something in the break room about that weird comment someone made at that meeting, I may not get this promotion I've been working for for the last 20 years. Yeah. Or even just the, you know, proximity. Maybe you're the only black person. Maybe there's only two of you. Or you don't even have to be black, but just like outside of whatever is the center of that space. It's 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 real deep because it hits you the person. And I just want to emphasize that because I think people need to in this moment move out of the space of this is outside of my life. This is away from me. This is something I don't have to deal with. And when I say deal with, I'm not necessarily saying like it's a problem, like a math problem on a board and time is ticking, right? And we got to win $50,000 or something goofy. Uh, But more so like it's something that exists in our world and we know about it. If you know your shoe is untied, you tie it. So yeah. are you trip and fall if you ignore it? So, so I actually, you just made me realize something that I feel like a lot of times, you know, like for us having these conversations, I, I find them uh, healing, but in those workspaces, they can be threatening and they can be isolating as well. So I, I don't know. I find that, 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 that is also there's like an inherent hostility when you talk about oppression to people that would just rather not think about it. It's, and now it's become a thing where the shift is like, no, you got to, you know, like even on social media, it's kind of taboo to post anything that's not related right now, which I'm totally fine with. I used to feel like I was posting too much political shit and now everybody's like, no, it's all politics. So fuck it. You know? Like, it's crazy. Yeah, it's, it's, it's real deep because, like, so, okay, I've experienced uh, workplace racial-based violence. Like, I've experienced it um, multiple times. Yeah. I've experienced it probably in every place that I've been employed, low-key, uh-huh. because it's not about, like, oh, here are the rules of, you know, office culture or... Uh, employee culture. It's more so that whiteness is the standard. White supremacy is the overall standard. And that's just how we get down. So I think what happens is that when people try to enact stuff like policies or programs or initiatives, because that's really like what a lot of industries are doing, right? So Mm. our goal this year is to, I don't know, sell 15 million houses or whatever, right? Say you work for a realtor. The problem is, is that in the programming or structures 
that are needed to accomplish these goals, people enact racial violence on people. They just do it. So it could be like, all right, so you have a meeting and we're trying to come up with an idea for a program and maybe it's name. And you give out a name. Like you're a black person, you give out a name. And you know, it's it's workplace culture. So people try to come to a democratic agreement, quote unquote, so to say. But um, you know, it could be a good name and they won't pick it. Or they won't even respond to what you just said. I've had many a times where I've said something in a meeting and no one has even acknowledged the last <laughs> many words I've said. That's interesting. But I because I've I've heard women say this a lot. I, I, you don't actually get to hear a lot of black men talk about that. No, it's and, and, and again, of the many identities who are oppressed within racial white supremacist, uh, fascist, all the stuff systems that we're in in America, uh, all the people who are oppressed um, have had some some. It, it could be a look. It's a gaze. It's. Um, you know, when when you go to the cash register and you pay your money for your items, the cashier never even looks at you. Yeah, no, I, I, get, I get that. But what I'm it's almost like they don't want to hear that complaint coming from black men. You've literally described the situation that I've heard countless women describe. And, and I'm not like trying to make this like a misogynist thing. I'm just making an observation about like the intersectionality of what is acceptable dialogue. Uh, you know, uh, I don't know. Well, I don't know. I don't know if that's true. You, you don't know? know? I, I, no, because one, I'm a man. And then two, I've experienced conversations with other men who have expressed the same thing that I just experienced. Like, you know, they didn't even hear what I was trying to say. Yeah. Um, so... It's there. And I guess what's so interesting about when people talk about their experiences is maybe within culture, folks think it's just an infinite river of complaints that could be filed. Uh Right. So Everybody's just constantly complaining about stuff that's happening. Everybody's constantly, you know, talking about how I can't say certain words anymore. Um, everybody's constantly saying how, you know, I can't look a, a person up and down in a sensual manner because it makes them uncomfortable. Like, it's like people think that this is like something that people are just always complaining about. No, it's one always happening to them like day to day. Yeah. Um, and then also, uh, yeah, because of white supremacy and how it operates. It operates much like how society uh, um, erases people who are displaced and homeless. Mm -hmm. So we culturally have given ourselves the excuse to ignore anybody on the street that we deem as not a regular homed housed person. Yeah. Right? So it's the same groove, but you just throw racism on top of it or sexuality or gender on top of it. You know, it's like, ah, here you go again. You have something to say, but even if people are responding to it online, I think it's more so again, like 
because people keep talking about the shit that's fucking them over and ruining their lives and stopping them and killing their friends and hurting their aunts and like destroying their families and all this other stuff. Yeah. People are not going to stop saying shit about it because it's their life. Mm -hmm. You know, you grow up, this is your life. This is what's happening. And these are the people who are doing it. And sadly, because it's happening to so many people, People see it and they got to agree because because part of that is that when you express your experience, when you say, hey, that wasn't cool, right? Or, hey, I didn't like that. The response is always like, oh, I didn't mean to do that. I wasn't aware. I wasn't knowledgeable. Um, I didn't know that's what that meant. It's always this like smokescreen effect and... People are tired of that shit because it's like, come the fuck on, you know, are you, are you, are, it's not even about being like woke or whatever the fuck that means, but just being cognizant, a living, breathing, thinking person, aware. Yeah, it's crazy. It's crazy the erasure that can happen in real time. So yeah, I know maybe it may seem like black men don't necessarily say certain things, or, you know, women only get praised for advocating for certain issues. It's like ebbs and flows, mm-hmm. right? Like you were saying on the internet. So you post something on social media now about, I don't know, a march or demonstration or racial injustice or, you know, whatever. Yeah, you may get more engagement than when you used to because. Somebody put this on Twitter today, and I need to research the term, but they talked about white ally exhaustion, and white folks get tired of hearing about the shit that their friends, family, and padres are doing to other people. Yeah. So they get exhausted and fatigued about this shit, too. So... That's why you always get that rejection of like, who gives a fuck what you have to say, Javier, you know, and then they just keep it moving. Oh, I actually get the it's opposite. Deep, man. It's- I get the opposite reaction. I get people white explaining communism to me. I get people white explaining fascism to me, which we talked about last time. But yeah, I get people that have been on the show doing some fucking very hostile shit to me where I'm like, bro, like, yo. <laughs> I showed your artwork. Yeah. I invited you onto the show. Why are you why are you acting like this? You know, so uh, yeah, it's it, I think speaking out publicly about politics is always going to be something that triggers somebody. Uh and right now right now there's more space for that though. Yeah, their position's violated. So yeah. they feel some way. Yeah. Whatever area of protection they've made for themselves they're concerned. And, you know, I just wanted to say about people coming and white explaining any sort of oppressor oppressed issue is, is part of it. Oh yeah. yeah. You know, it's, and it's really surreal because it's almost like within non-white groups, I guess you could say, there's a constant call to action for people within those groups and then anybody else who is who understands and is about it. There's always a call to action that you can come out and do this and you can help. 
you need to help. What are you doing? Right. It's funny because there are, for me, I guess I could say there are people who are white and there are people who happen to be white. And I think with the folks who happen to be white, there is a possibility of hope and a separation that they themselves can understand that, okay, the people within my community that I identify with, some of them are out here doing, you know, fucked up shit. And I don't necessarily agree with them, but because of this greater, bigger system of white supremacy, patriarchal dominance, imperialism, I'm already rank and filed within this, within this other team or whatever. So I think sometimes what happens with those people that do, I don't know, stand on the side of justice is that all of the people who are trying to enact change are also somewhat scholars. Like you have to study various movements that have happened before. You know, you often reference other people who have had the same experience. Um, and it is a culture that can be learned. Um, and I think those people sometimes learn those cultures and then they forget that their whiteness still potentially could supersede their humanity. Mm -hmm. And they whites blame shit like they could really, truly be your homie. But the mannerisms of violence that they've been taught, they could still just do them. Yeah. You know, they could still enact them. And because I've because I've seen it happen. Right. I've been in like this white woman's studio and we were uh, talking about police violence um, and, you know, I already don't like where this is going. <laughs> well, it's just crazy. I mean, and it's a whole nother subject. Um, but anyways, we were then, cause it was a group of black folks, myself, and I'm not going to say anyone else's gender yeah. or identity, uh, uh, but, um, or sexuality or any of that. Um, but myself, I was there, but we were talking about organizing to do I think maybe like a group show about the subject or something like that and we're talking right so you know somebody it's the it's the air of conversation so we're talking somebody's saying this someone's saying that and this is weird because the words that she used cut the cut the air in the conversation and she was like I think what you all need to do <laughs> And maybe she was being sincere in that moment, right? Because, you know, people say that, you know, I think maybe you could do this. But it, it, the way, the cadence, the timing, I don't know. You know, I mean, maybe yeah. I should just re-review the moment. But it cut the air to the point where it was like, who do you think you are to tell us what to do about our our experiences. Yeah. We're trying to organize something around black culture. And you think that you should be in the position to tell us what to do. Yeah. You know? So it's like, yeah, maybe that she was, you know, quote unquote woke or so-called woke, whatever that means. But then she wasn't aware enough to understand her own bot, her own body politics. Yeah. To think about, okay, I want to help, but how can I say and express that I want to help 
in a way that is uh, maybe not de- divisive or self-aware. At well, the yeah, very I mean, least, you know, like, what, yeah, there was a complete lack of self-awareness and, and it was just like, she might as well just have said, like, I have privilege and I know everything. Like it was, it's, it, I, I totally understand that. And that, it, that is like a frustration in this, in the particular sphere that we exist in, right? Like, I mean, there's a lot of, a, a lot of, uh, well-meaning people that come out here and they think that because they know better than their family members. They're not white supremacists, but it's just not the case. Well, I, and you know, I, I guess we could take it back to, uh, France Fanon and black skin, white mass, which I think everyone should read. It's a very interesting book. Um, Say it again. Say it again. Uh, France Fanon, Black Skin, White Mask. Okay. And it's one of the few books he was able to write before he, uh, you know, left the earth. Um, But in it, you know, it's so interesting because you can, to me, when I consider people and their intentions and their awareness and who they are and maybe how folks move within the changing world, within this new potential uh, radicalized, uh, liberated space, is that it's not necessarily always about hitting the right phrases and keywords. Yeah, I can get down with that. And, you know, people get caught in that, like, okay, so, like right now, right? So people are always using the term Black Lives Matter, right? BLM. Mm -hmm. And then that's the thing about it. So like, it's a phrase, right? It's it's something you can say, but it's also an an organization. Yeah. And I think people forget that in trying to, um, again, hit these benchmarks. Or if you wanted to talk about... um, you know, indigenous people, people now are aware that maybe native American is not always the best term to use when you want to refer to that group of people. Yeah. And I think breaking down those common phrases and terms and mannerisms, you know, someone uh, today threw up the okay sign to me. Yeah. yeah. That's become co-opted, right? Well, yeah. It's also white power symbol. Yeah. Yeah. So, but it's interesting. So it's like, okay, you know, I have to navigate when I see things like that because of culture and how it's changing, you know, you have to navigate, okay, were they just trying to let me know that they're really down with the clan? Like they're really down with that white supremacy <laughs> shit? Or uh, were, you know, were they really just being like, okay, got you, right? Um, so it's just, it's just so many different things within our culture are like that. Yeah. So many different cues, right? So if you said to someone that they're an giver, right? Like, that's like a phrase that maybe I learned when I was a kid. I didn't hear that shit till I was an adult because I didn't grow up over here. But that's a horrible one. Yeah, it's it's hella problematic. And, you know, I would never use it, right? Um, And I apologize to anyone who may have just been offended by me using that. I should have 
given some sort of preface. Uh, but even see just that, right? The fact that you could be talking about something and you're trying to unpack all of the different ways it's complicated, you know, you just, everybody should just take a moment to understand and, and digest, right? So digest the things you are hearing about, like really sit for a moment and think about it. Like, okay, so these people, you know, are upset about this and just really sit through it because I think that's the only way that folks will not run into situations much like myself and, uh, you know, the white lady artists, because you don't always just want to say things. You, you really just want to um, get people to understand that, again, these things are happening in reality. It's not imaginary. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, that's also a pretty pernicious form of supremacy, the denial of racism. It it does become exhausting. I, I, I did confront a couple of people when all of this came down that I was just like, yo, man, like this shit happened. It wasn't cool. I didn't like hanging out with these people. They are not cool. Uh, and like, you know, now you're posting all this shit saying that you're an ally, but like you don't say shit when people say racist things around you. And one friend was receptive. The other guy just exhausted me. Like the last thing he sent me was the, uh, like he wanted it fucking resolved. And (laughs) like, he didn't want to have a conversation where it was just like, we talk about it and then he sits with it and there's no resolution. He just needed it, it to be fixed. Right. Uh, he needed to know what to do. And I was just like, bro, like, not this. And the last thing he did, he sent me that uh, video of all the white actors saying that they're not going to stand by and not participating. The one with, uh, do you know the one I'm talking about? I don't. Uh, never mind. The actors? Yeah, there's, there's one with like the Jesse Pinkman guy and a bunch of other character actors just like saying like, I, you know, I won't like just, it was basically an attention grab. You should watch, uh, Joe Rogan's commentary on that. It was just fucking hilarious. But anyway, it was just like something that made other people cringe. And then this guy was like sending it to me. Like, like, oh, I get it now. And I was just like, oh man, <laughs> we keep getting farther and farther away from it, dude. Yeah. I mean, I think people think it's a math problem, right? They think it's some sort of equation that you have to solve. And then you like get this prize of you're no longer considered uh, potentially a racist or to have done racist things yeah. um, or have done things that are uh, problematic or hurt people. Um, and it's not a math problem, right? It's really not that. It's really more so, in my opinion, because it is very complex, right? Because it's interwoven into so many different parts of our lives. It's yeah. interwoven into so many things. Um, like, truly. But... Um, It's not that. It's more so you have been given information, you've processed it, you've taken it into your uh, vision, right, for those who can see, Um, but you've taken it into your mind. And maybe if you're really interested, if it really sparks a change, you uh, 
Um, you see examples of it, right? You go, oh, wow, that's why the roads here are always so bumpy, right? You just see examples when people, when you allow the information that you've been given by someone to be processed. Um, but you, you know, it takes a minute to like slow down because processing takes time. You have to slow down and go, well, what does that mean? Um, and I think what is happening for a lot of folks is that, so this has been going on, you know, if we were going to triangulate it on just white supremacist violence against black people, it's been going on since the inception of America. Um, and even before then, but if we're talking about it in an American sense, People have been advocating for equality and justice and humanity. Yeah, like like I said, like since day one. And you know, there have been various different techniques and ways to express the yeah, the understanding that the world is actually um, this weird game-like system, and you and your role in it is, yeah, people are coming after you, whether you like it or not. And it's not even like coming after you like they're always running after you, it's just that. It's, it's like an electric fence. If you run into the fence, you get electrocuted and die. So it's like a real proximity thing. What's interesting about that is I guess if we could even, if I could offer a symbolic way of understanding that is, so if we're thinking about space, like outer space, mm -hmm. there's you know, the sun or whatever. And the sun is described as a perfect black body because of how it works. So what a black body is, is you can imagine it as like a, a something in space, whether it's a circle or whatever, um, and it's completely black. So in outer space, you know, there's energy moving and traveling at various degrees and various temperatures. Light being one of them, visual light, falls and hits a black body. That black body absorbs the energy and heat and it gives off a completely different temperature. And really what it is, is that it's almost as if, so if energy is falling on this object, it's gonna be constantly heating up and warming and it has to uh, expel the energy that it's absorbing or, you know, it'll, it'll explode. So mm -hmm. what it does is it gives off its own form of energy. Um, and that's kind of the sunlight, the visual light that we get from the sun um, because the sun is actually uh, a cool black ball in space that's, yeah, expelling the heat that's falling on it. Really? I didn't um, know that. 
Yeah, it's called black body radiation. It's very interesting because it's almost like uh, you can think about all the things that are black in the world. So when you wear a black shirt, you know, you kind of, it absorbs heat. Mm -hmm. But then it also, if you sit under a shady tree, you're sitting under black shade. So it's cool. So black has this kind of duality like property. It's real deep. So like the the sun is that it's this black body. It's this thing giving off energy in the universe. And I guess I could, what I have done in my work is referred to it the same way you would refer to a black person mm-hmm. and they're black, right? So is it that within this society, there's this energy that's being expelled from you know people and folks are trying to like stamp it out? You know, mm-hmm. because I just wonder about police violence and policing because it's tied to racism and it's tied to stopping black folks from excelling in the world. Yeah, definitely. I mean, that's fucking inarguable. So it's almost like, I don't know. Are, are you, are y'all just trying to like come after folks to, yeah, stop them, stop them and hurt them. It's really, it's really, it's really surreal because it goes, it goes in so many different ways and it affects so many different parts of our lives. I just don't know if people really understand or can fathom or can see all of the different spots where those ideas of like dominance, like touch. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, there's definitely a lot of conditioning involved. Just even going back into the the simplicity of those games of good versus evil, um, and how those get corrupted into this, like, you know, I mean, yeah, it's it's a strange thing, and it, and it gets really easy to get overwhelmed by that shit, and try to figure out. Like, that's one of the things I've definitely tried to stay engaged, but for the long haul, right? Especially with all this stuff going on. Um, But, you know, one of the things was just, I don't know, it's fucking grief. Like, you're, I think that for the first time, you know, not to speak for all non-black people, but I think that the level of uh, grief that people have been feeling, partly because, like what you said, we're not at our jobs, we're we're not happy with the way that the that we're getting fucked right now. I mean, we're obviously getting fucked, but it it's 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 a, it's a definitely a different um, time in my lifetime. I remember when I was in school, I went to a private school in Italy and we were, we had to like not wear our uniforms because of the Iraq war. And my teachers were trying to contextualize it for me and being like, man, you're living through important times. And I mean, he's not wrong, but I think that 
you know, even there, it's just this idea of like imperialism. I I saw a thing about what's going on in Yemen. I forget. I put it was a repost. I don't know how accurate it is, but that they're about to run out of fuel. Um, let me pull up my Instagram. But I think that with a lot of these things, it's really hard. Here, let me see. So in 21 days, Yemen will run out of fuel. Hospitals will shut down. Clean water won't be pumped. In 97 days, Yemen will run out of wheat. In 111 days, Yemen will run out of rice. The U.S., Saudi, and uh, United Arab Emirates Coalition is committing mass murder by blocking Yemen, uh, blockading Yemen. So, uh, I, I mean, the accuracy of that, uh, that's like a post that someone put on Instagram, so I don't know how accurate that is, but it's very fucking plausible if you've been t paying attention to what's actually been going on there. And to me, it's this thing where it's like, it's, that's the scale that I want people to understand that this white supremacy works on, right? It's not, it is all tied. Like the reason we were talking about uh, p kids being separated and putting cages and stuff like that is because it's the same system, right? When that was in the news, that was what, we were talking about, um, but it's, it's, it's one of those things that when you start to really take it on, first of all, you're not very fun at parties, <laughs> but, uh, you know, especially in those like exclusively white spaces, but it is a fucking huge problem and it is related to the external militarism. You know, it's, it, it's, it's unacceptable to fucking not, um, not take it up, not, not take it on at all. Cause like the level of suffering that we turn to bly on eye to is not just within this country, right? It's, it's just in an international fucking ring of depravity and dehumanization and starving people everywhere because they're not white. It's, 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 I mean, you know, it's part of a bigger system that's really fucking horrifying. Yeah, it goes back to dominator culture. So America's founded on dominator culture, right? Um, that's it. They came to a whole nother place that they never lived in, and they killed the people who lived here and built their own place and told, told everyone who was brought up in that a, a, a lie, lies, right? Yeah. Um, and I think that within the modern world, for America to keep doing its thing, right, to be this quote unquote global superpower, yeah, it dominates other people violently, you know? Uh, and the world is globalized. So every, everyone is working together, you know, to make sadly capitalism happen the machine going so everybody can get quote unquote paid. But people don't realize two things that are real deep. One is that, yeah, when you're doing these like supply chain situations and you know, you're buying, I don't know, however many things of an item, uh, there's always some sort of contract and negotiation. So, a basic thing is like, okay, I want this soda, it's a dollar, I gotta give this person a dollar. On a grander 
nationwide scale, it's like, okay, if you don't give us these products, we'll make sure you all don't get oil, right? We'll stop your oil from being, uh, you know, brought to your shores and then available within your country. Or we'll tax the amount of money it costs to buy our produce, right? So we just negotiate. But the thing about it is that we negotiate on such a violent and hostile level, right? Because, you know, I definitely think that people should own the means of their production and uh, people should have the right to, you know, decide what something is worth um, within reason. But nah, America's doing like really crazy shit. Like, okay, so for whatever reason, we've decided that Venezuelan oil is something that we want. So we've just been slowly and deliberately doing stuff to fuck their country up. Mm -hmm. Venezuelan is not coming to America and doing anything to America. In America fact, go- they gave oil, they, they helped people in this country. They've like, they yeah. had programs to help Americans. Yeah, they, but that's the thing, is that America goes out and inflicts violence. Yeah, yeah, no, I'm, it, even on people that are doing nice things for their citizenry. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And the second thing is that America gets paid off of violence. So one thing that people should probably tune into within just you know, what's going on right now in America with this clash between its citizens and the people who are assigned to be peace officers or so-called peace officers is that they got to buy all that shit from companies that manufacture it. And, you know, just for another line for people to even talk about is just like, yeah, a lot of those people are getting paid. If you, I don't know if you've heard of the company Safari Land. No. Uh, uh, it's, so, it actually rings a bell now that you say it. Yeah. So Safari Land, they, if you look it up, it's a nonstop list of products that are tied to uh, like the military and like weapons and body armor and gun mm-hmm. holsters and uh, riot suppressor guns and pepper spray and tear gas and you just buy this shit off their website, right? You know, um, but that's what the police departments are doing Yeah. with their budget. They're not buying, I don't know, bikes for all the kids in the community. They're buying riot shields. They're buying tear gas. They're buying uh, high-tech helmets. They're buying bulletproof armor. They're buying guns. They're buying bullets. They're buying all things that are to inflict violence on people. They're not buying band-aids and bandages and peroxide. No, they're like buying weapons. So like, yeah, you know, you have these uprisings, but it's like, it's crazy because someone's getting paid off that. And I just want to make that point that, you know, if you look up Safari Land, that's where a lot of police departments buy their equipment and other countries. Yeah, weren't like arms dealers back guys in movies? 
right? Like yeah. in the 80s, they were like villains. And now they're just like, it's just business people. They're just philanthropists, actually, now. They just... <laughs> That's horrifying, I'm but serious. you're right. I know. <laughs> I'm, I'm serious. They sit, on, they sit on boards of museums and institutions, and they help move and dictate what is culturally and socially acceptable within our society. Yeah. You know, it's real deep, and it's, and it's everything. Everything gets put through this system that is like – black, white culture and power, everything gets put through that system and then it's used against the people who make it. That's why you have a lot of people in America who think that we're going out and we're protecting everyone because the message that's being reflected back to us is that we're just protecting folks. We're just making sure people are safe. You know what I mean? And and to do that, they paint people as like savages and they, you know, uh, horrible human rights violation. Meanwhile, while we're tear gassing and murdering our own fucking people, like it's it, it, it's this it's a really amazing. I mean, I can't imagine what th- there has to be some sort of. Uh, meditative self lobotomy that people do to disconnect from the horrible shit that they contribute to society. <laughs> to, no, you know. they really just don't care. Yeah. I think, I, and it, I think it's folks really don't care. And I did, and I apologize because I do want to acknowledge all the like insane things that are happening in Yemen. Yeah. And yeah, have yeah. been happening for um, countless years. Right. And I think that's the thing is that people think that, you know, because these things are being talked about now, they haven't been going on. And also, there's a system in place to continue and to perpetuate these cycles for countries, you know, the International Monetary Fund. Yes. That's why you have so many countries within, within Africa who can't get themselves out of this, you know, perceived, quote unquote, uh, poverty state that they're in. You know, they borrow from this bank that's supposed to help countries, but then the bank says you can only use this money on stuff like tourism. Yeah, that's not how you build a country. That's not how you uh, give people infrastructure. No, um, definitely. And, the, and, um, and that's part of it. One of the things that's interesting is that a lot of people are criticizing China for they're they're setting up like they're giving five G technology away. I think it, there's it's a it's a technological relationship where they're. Um, they're basically giving out infrastructure, technological infrastructure to African countries in sort of this way. And it's painted as nefarious, which I don't have a problem with it being painted that way. But we also need to acknowledge that that's essentially Microsoft's business model all throughout the 90s. Like the shit that uh, China is doing to gain control and uh, 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 and to gain, gain a footing in Africa is exactly the same kind of mentality. They would give people windows 95 for, for free to sort of grant, like make that systemic thing. My father uh, used to write papers about it. He used to work with it, it like uh, setting up independent programs and shit like that. But he, it, it's like, it's just funny how, you know, when someone else does it, it's bad. But like when our billionaire benevolent fucking vaccine God is, is part of, is doing it. It's like, Oh, he's just a white businessman. Of course he, took advantage of Africa. 
Yeah, we miss we miss all the big ones, right? We miss AT&T, we miss Viacom, we miss all the big people that yeah. are always suppressing us as people, as human beings. And I and it's because folks live in chaos, organized chaos. Yeah. And, and you're I, born into it. Yeah, and poverty and I mean like just just increasing increasing chaos. Yeah. It's no, going to be crazy, man. We're going to definitely have another conversation sometime down the uh, the road. You have uh, helped me um, become a much more thoughtful person. Yeah, I mean, I guess it's interesting that you say that because I know the experience of being at a party and wanting to talk about reality yeah. um, and it just not being, you know, what's hip right now. Um, yeah. But I think it comes from, like, how can you, how can you be celebrating? And I'm not saying that folks should not find spaces and pockets to have bliss and joy. I think that's extremely important. I guess I'm more so saying that, like, even if you are celebrating, like, these are the topics, these are the things that people should be talking about. And it's not, and it's, the thing also about it is that, I think folks need to, and it happens, in my opinion, when you, you know, continue to like educate yourself and read and like dig deeper and ask more questions, is that you start to not to feel uncomfortable talking about the stuff that's happening in in the world. The only reason why people are so like, oh my gosh, this stuff is happening to this other, another, you know, country outside of America you know, one of many is because it's not a part of our daily situations, our daily conversations. It's, you know, our news teams aren't talking about, hey guys, this thing is happening in Yemen. And if they are, they talk about it for like half a second and then play some shit to make you ignore it right after. Yeah. Right. So, um, you know, yeah, people are just caught up in some like farce. People live in a farce and they want to live in a farce because they don't want to deal with all the stuff that our country is doing to its citizens and to everyone else around the world. What do you, you think know? of, uh, so, I, so here's so it comfortable to be like white supremacy is bad because I'm aware that White supremacy is a thing that exists and is horrible and it's been going on for like over 4,000 years. And I'm just in the groove. I'm just in the stream. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, with that, it's an opportunity to change things. The only way to really change things is to talk about them mm-hmm. and then to act on them, act on the things you talk about. Yeah. Um, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. No, it's it's fine. I just, uh, uh, what's it called? I definitely, um, well, I, I, I kind of, I think that, uh, one of the things that is sort of implied in this conversation, uh, um, is that a lot of that externalized violence has been, or has been ignored. And a lot of the internalized violence has been also ignored. 
And then you have things happening like the opioid crisis, right? Where traditionally we think of class lines very much, like even fucking Joe Biden (laughs) has a quote where he said, like, uh, poor kids are just as smart as white kids. (laughs) Which fucking was so epic of a slip. But but yeah, man, it's, it's, I'm sorry, I lost my train of thought. What was I saying? I just cracked no, up at that that memory. Of that it's all right. I mean, I think we were drawing the lines between um, how folks have lost their ability to, I guess, like ignore the shit. Yeah. Right, because that Joe Biden saying something like that is like okay. So we know Joe Biden historically is probably down with white supremacy i would say he's more he's done more for white supremacy even though trump has the uh uh, was an asshole and he did a bunch of racist shit with the central park five and you can disagree with me please do push back if you disagree but i definitely think that joe biden has done more legislatively for fucking white supremacy you know i don't even uh count the difference because it's not it's it's like not mathematical you're right. You you can you can conceive statistics out of the things that people do because you know there are so many people outside of the world. All the you know you can make a math problem out of these things and say, well, this person has done five more things than this person's four things. No, you're right, and I'm not considering his redlining and all of the shit that. Like, I mean, that's uh, that, you're right. I uh, it, it it was uh, terrible mathematics. I will t- I will ask you then about this mathematics that I am sort of. Uh, struggling with because um, obviously Trump is a piece of shit, but I think that his abilities to turn this into a a, um, a fascist state are a lot are, are heavily overstated. And so here's where my concern is: I, I am not going, obviously not going to vote for him. My my analysis and my mathematics has to do with whether I'm voting third party, because I really am having a hard time bringing myself. I mean, not not anyone special here. I know a lot of people are having a hard time with Joe Biden, but um, I guess the math that I'm working through is and you know like you said it's not math that's why i'm using that analogy so that we know that this is just me thinking out loud but i am concerned of biden getting elected and people going back to sleep because that's what i felt happened during the obama era where we actually because like before george w bush and maybe a lot of people listening are going to be too young for that or maybe i'm just hoping that i have more young listeners but like People used to be against the Iraq war. People used to be fervently against war in the news media, everywhere. Slowly they started to fire people. Or, you know, Chris Hedges left the New York Times because they they knew that he wasn't. You know, there's a few people like Matt Taibbi who's still at Rolling Stone. But to me, it's fucking insane. The change that's happened in my lifetime. And I think that that happens when people think, oh, like we got one of we, we got our guy in there. But in reality, you got Congress voting and, and the Senate pretty much voting for everything that Trump wants that's objectionable to me. Right. In terms of uh, everybody's freaking out about all his justices. Right. And just recently, the, his two Supreme Court ju- or two Supreme Court justices appointed by uh, Republicans, which is one of the arguments against voting third party. 
um, the two Republicans, uh, Justice Roberts, Republican appointed people by George W. Bush, Roberts and uh, Gorsuch, who I've spoken to one of my lawyer friends and says that like, yo, you know, this guy is an intellectually honest person. Right. They just passed LG. They just secured uh, anti-discrimination LGBT uh, in the workplace. And like maybe we'll end on this little bit of conversation. But what are your thoughts on that? Like, I am worried that all the white people will be like, oh, we got Joe Biden. Fuck it. It's done. We don't we don't need to go out into the streets and shit like that. Thoughts on that? Yeah. And I guess it, and, and that's what I was trying to say about it. Not necessarily being a math problem is that they both wake up talking about white supremacy. Yeah. They wake up and that's the groove they're on. It's not about any any specific party within America because America has always been a fascist state. I mean, there's fascist symbols in the House and the Senate floors. 100%, so, yeah. You know what I mean? So it's not even about like Trump making it this this new fascist thing. It's just that the stuff that's been buried under the surfaces of the country are coming out. Right. It's bubbling to the surface. It's, it, it has to. Right. Energy mm. isn't lost. It's transferred. So um, I think that's what's happening. And, yeah, you could say that the Obama era people rested or, you know, maybe put down their laurels, you know, but then you would have to talk about like the fact that there were, you know, there was an uprising in Ferguson during the Obama era. Oh no, I'm totally, I'm, I'm separating that into, I'm talking about mi- milita- militarism. You're, you're hundred percent right. There was an uprising and I, and against I, him. Yeah, go ahead. And I, and I want and, and I guess what I'm also saying with that is that people also have to understand that yes, it was a true and great achievement for you know, uh, brother Barack to go into the White House. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it means something to me as a person. No, but definitely. I also, but I'm also aware that to even enter into the system to become president, you have to give way to some, if not most, if not all. You know, and I'm only saying that because maybe I feel a little even a little bit vulnerable saying that out loud, you mm-hmm. have to give way to the white supremacist system. Yeah. Well, I mean, you, you're still functioning within that. The, the, well, yeah, yeah. Not only is time already set in that it was here before you got here, but also that, yeah, you can't succeed within a system unless you know how to play within its rules. Yeah. So even Congress, right? So, it don't really matter because all these people are down with, uh, you know, billionaire culture and imperialist culture and white supremacist culture on some level. All of them, all, all of them. Because we I, last time we talked, we we had hope for the squad, but I want to include them in that. Well, I just, and and you know, I'm not, and I personally, I don't even want to call anyone out by name because it's almost like pointless because it's just like collectively the bodies aren't doing stuff. And, you know, I don't think anyone should, you know, the voting thing for me is very interesting because for me, I now will only truly advocate for people divesting from the current system me too, and enacting a new system, if not a true third, fourth, fifth, sixth, whatever party. I would love uh, for two new parties to just spring up and be populist. I'd love for there to be a right party and a left party just be like, fuck the Dems. That would be amazing. And, 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 and really just a party for humanity. Yeah. Because I, I think that's where I'm at because it's like, 
I don't even really want to deal with like, okay, well, you know, because I get it, right? Joe Biden, because of the system and because, you know, everybody was faked out and played by Bernie Sanders. Yeah. Is that, um, yeah, he's, it's either him or this guy that we have now that sucks. Um, and that's it. So like, yeah, maybe vote for the lesser of two evils, whatever the fuck that means. Um, and you know, someone said this to me that maybe he picks a person of color and Joe Biden dies in office, you know, but then that person of colors probably played the game just like Barack and still is still a player in a in a, um, oppressive system. Yeah. It's, it's, it's overwhelming. Sorry. Go ahead. Yeah, most most definitely. I, I want to emphasize that most definitely. Um, yeah, yeah. No, I was agreeing system. with you. I wasn't like, I knew you knew. <laughs> yeah. Same. I'm just emphasizing because when you think about that, that they're within the system, you also can then go, well, the system has to change. Yeah. The whole thing's got to come down. You know, the whole the whole situation can't be built on these lies, and you can't really reform it because reform is just a band aid that you know, creates a bigger vacuum for violations to happen. But yeah, it's the whole thing. The whole thing is messed up and tied to imperialism, white supremacy, patriarchy, and dominance. Yeah. Um, and racial violence across, you know, America, the American and global caste system. Yeah, like we said in the last interview, it's it, it's rooted in anti-blackness. Yeah. Um, and you know, I just want to encourage people to, if you are really about this, like change shit, is to understand that you know. And I heard this on the radio today that we are at the very, very beginning. Some people are just putting on their shoelaces, you know, just putting their shoes on. Some people are just uh, getting their morning breakfast in. Some people are just taking their daily vitamins. Some people are just rolling over and getting out of bed. Um, but it's an everyday thing and commitment and process to get it all out because it's everywhere, right? It's yeah. everywhere. It's in every single system within the country and really within our understanding of the universe. And that's really scary because all we're doing is continuing to construct the same ideas and support the same systems and people and places that are then reciprocating violence back to us intentionally and unintentionally because they're programmed to do those intentional things, even when they don't truly mean to do them on a humanitarian level. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, if I could say anything about voting is that, you know, speaking primarily to black people who had their voting rights stripped and taken away from them and then had to fight twice to get them back and are still having them taken away from them is, yeah, fucking vote because people lost their lives. Yeah. People were murdered. People's houses were bombed. So you could uh, participate in the system, but participate in changing. It's got to be multi-leveled. It's, it's, it's got to come down to a humanitarian level where everyone is equal 
And within that, it also has to do the restorative stuff that needs to be done to bring everyone to uh, an elevated humanitarian level. Yeah. Right. Some folks got to come down and then other folks got to come up. Right. We have to transcend. We have to demolish and transcend. Yeah, uh, yeah, and it seems like there's a push towards that, especially with everyone at home. I mean, I think that we're we're also not even. What, one of the th- reasons that I want to have you back is just because shit is going to get much crazier. We're just scratching the surface, right? The, all of this energy is going to. There's evictions are coming up, moratoriums, uh, unemployment checks, or, uh, benefits are going to be decreased very soon. Like uh, this is, like you said, just the beginning, and it's this weird arrogance that sort of, you know, that people just thought they could take everything from everyone, right? My the my favorite fucking uh, story to to sort of tell on the show right now is that there are probably Cuban Republicans who left, who fled the uh, who fled communism, went to Miami, started their own business, and then because of the shutdown they're fucked. Their business is gone. Just wiped out by two systems, two economic systems that are, you know, run by oligarchs or, you know, the power, centralized power. It's fucking crazy. It's just a a weird world to live in. So I I also, I don't want to take too much of your time. Um, Do you have stuff that you want to promote? Do you have anything that you want to end on? Or You know, I mean, it sucks because it, I, I, there's so much to talk about. Um, I so definitely want to have every single day. Yeah, I want to. I, I want to pace ourselves. I definitely want to have more conversations with you. I have very warm feelings towards you. I, I mean, I know that we don't know you know each other very well, but you, uh, you, uh, um, our conversation uh, gave me permission to sort of uh, embody this or, or feel comfortable embodying the space that I uh, have started to take up. Uh, so, so I, you're always welcome. Anytime you want to invite, this is not something I give a lot of people, but uh, you're one of two people that have an open invitation to just, if you ever want to talk to me, just fucking hit me up. Invite yourself. You're, you have an open invitation to just come and talk. Does that sound reasonable? Yes, thank you for that. That's like an honor. I've never had anyone say that to me. Uh, dude, I, I, like I said... I don't know you that well, but we have had very intimate conversations that have been very meaningful to me, and I appreciate you as uh, as a person who has empowered me to sort of, uh, like I said, not chase spaces that aren't welcoming to me just because that's my you know my expectation is that that's where I need to be and things like that. You have uh, you have helped me, and I am very very grateful to you. You're welcome, man. Thank you. I'm glad I could be a part of that. Because uh, I don't know if it's I don't know if it's me the person or some uh, I don't know I've been giving a lot more praise to the greater powers that be you know within the universe because you're not the only person who's ever felt trapped we've all kind of been trapped in this shit so yeah. it's like you know the the Tony Morrison said this and I guess we can leave on this is the purpose of freedom is to free someone else. You've definitely done that to me in, in terms of, I, I mean, I definitely identify with the person I am on this show and the, and you have helped me, uh, speak about things that matter to me more than, 
then then uh, you know like if in a format where people come and teach me stuff i've still managed to be you know like i just i was like i don't you know i'm gonna limit the amount of white people that come on the show i don't have to you know <laughs> I don't, and i don't necessarily want to cultivate that audience anyway so it, you know when i saw that your episodes came out and that they were not uh they were not a, an immediate success right like i mean the episodes around it were hitting a hundred and then right now it's like starting to hit, you know, I just realized, or so over time it started to like catch up to the other ones, but I just realized that maybe my audience was a relic of, uh, of sort of the relationship that I had with my former co-host who I had, uh, some racial tensions with and which is why I asked them not to do the show anymore to begin with, but was pulling the show to a very NPR white space. And I recently got a uh, review on uh, on iTunes that really made me feel like they, people understood what I would like. Someone understood what I was doing. And, and I, you know, a lot of credit goes to you for, for allowing me to feel comfortable talking about these things, you know, and knowing my place in within the space, you know, like, right. Like I, I can't talk about anti-blackness without you here. So uh, learning about that from you has is, is been meaningful to me. So thank you so much, man. And uh, I think we'll end on that. Do you have anything you want to promote? I'm not really promoting anything, but I heard this today and I thought it was important, is that, um, so like you said, you know, it's an honor and a privilege for me to be able to get on this, uh, this podcast and say the things and have the opportunity to express myself in space. Uh, but I can't always be in every space, right? So even if you aren't a, a black person or identify as some other, you know, identifier that you want to use for yourself, mm-hmm. you know, you gotta, uh, you know, you're gonna be in spaces that I'm not gonna be in, or someone yeah. else isn't gonna be in, or like maybe, um, you know, marginalized women aren't gonna be in, right? Or marginalized trans people. But, you know, we have to uh, still advocate for those things we believe in, even when the people who we, uh, I guess, ask and champion to um, talk about these subjects. Yeah, like they may not always be there. No. So we have to, like, fill in that role. It's important. Definitely. Well, man, thank you so much. I have, like I said, I got much love for you. I can't wait to talk again. And whenever you're ready, dude. Oh, and then you're at uh, Z-O-B-R-O-O on Instagram, correct? So, um... Are we not plugging that? I can cut it out. No, no, no. If we're going to plug the socials, uh, you could just follow Free the Town, at Free the Town. That's just... You know, because it's interesting that we talk about social media and maybe we should just uh, talk about this on another episode. But like I've gotten to a new space on how I'm even using my platform. All right. Um, so, you know, it's it's weird. Um, I was doing this project, this art project on social media, and I ended up realizing that, you know, Instagram, Facebook, you know, they also control our ability to talk and engage with our friends, family, and people around the world, right? So they're part of the problem. Yeah. So until there's another platform that isn't imperialist, you know, imperialistic, isn't tied to capitalism, isn't tied to white supremacy, um, 
I don't know if I can even uh, share my content on there. So I guess it's just you. something to think about. Uh, but, you know, at Free the Town on IG, uh, you could also look for at Free Clothing if you're looking for some gear, right? Uh-huh. Uh, that's kind of tied to what's happening right now. Um, and then at Black.LA. Awesome, man. All right, dude. So we're yeah, uh, I'll talk to you soon and we'll grab a beer once the world goes back to, I, I told you I got exposed to COVID. I'm getting tested tomorrow. So, <laughs> and we didn't even talk about that. So I know. <laughs> let me know how that goes. Good luck. Yeah, man. Yeah. Yeah. I'll definitely stay in touch. I'll talk to you soon, All right. man. All right. Peace. peace.